It is the battle for Baltimore on Dave Kinchin tonight. Well, we were all set to talk about the Democratic debate, the next round of action in Detroit, my home state of Michigan. The Democrats running for president, going at it yet again, a continuation of the last debate series we talked about in season one of this show in Miami. But then the Baltimore story broke, the story involving President Trump firing off some very strongly worded tweets targeting Representative Elijah Cummings of Baltimore and his response, and it's been a whole massive thing in media, in politics, everywhere else, talk of race, talk of uh, uh, congressional leaders and how they handle their districts, a lot of different things going on. So we're going to lay all of that out for you and still get into the debate as well and how the Baltimore story will impact the debate. I'm certain it will. Uh, We've got some, some new polling to get to as well. So you don't want to miss that. Some new polling since uh, the candidates uh, have been rounding the the campaign trail and and raking in money and doing this and doing that. So we will still have that in there. But uh, the Baltimore story is the big one. First, a few words from the Dave Kinchin Media Network. You know, we say it often because it is true. Music brings everybody together, and we celebrate that and more on Rock of Nations with Dave Kinchin, celebrating all things rock and roll, a podcast talking about the Stones and the Beatles, or if you like the heavier stuff like Zeppelin and Sabbath, we talk about them and everybody in between as well. There's interviews, there's insight, and there's fun vignettes that honor some of the greatest songs of all time. We are on Spotify, we are on iTunes, and if we are not where you should be getting podcasts, We will write a protest song about it. Tune in. Coming to you from the always bustling downtown Philadelphia studios on Market Street. So it begins like this over the weekend. These tweets sent out by President Trump. Uh, Why is so much money sent to the Elijah Cummings district when it is considered the worst run and most dangerous anywhere in the United States? No human being would want to live there. Where is all this money going? How much is stolen? Investigate this corrupt mess immediately. Representative Cummings, this is another tweet. Representative Elijah Cummings has been a brutal bully shouting and screaming at the great men and women of Border Patrol about conditions at the southern border when actually his Baltimore district is far worse in caps, far worse and more dangerous. His district is considered the worst in the USA. As proven last week during a congressional tour, the border is clean, efficient and well run, just very crowded. Cummings district is a disgusting rat and rodent infested mess. If he spent more time in Baltimore, maybe he could help clean up this very dangerous and filthy place. Now, all of this comes from uh, Representative Cummings, uh, who chairs a key committee in the House, uh, making comments about uh, runs oversight, making key comments about the conditions at the border, uh, being very critical of one of the uh, border managing agents down there. And, uh, you know, this this comes from the discussion of uh, children being in cages and, 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 and drinking toilet water, all of the things that we've seen online. There's been debates about, uh, you know, the Trump administration says that's not true. Um, people who have visited those sites say otherwise. Uh, it's been a big back and forth that you're probably familiar with. So, uh, Representative Cummings also fired back on um, Twitter. So this is the backstory. This is why President Trump has been going after Cummings specifically on, in, in this case. And this was a, uh, a very sort of a blitzkrieg moment that happened over the weekend. And, and uh, you know, it was 
largely, uh, I mean, the timing was interesting just because it, it just feels like it would have been something that evolved from the week um, and right after these these fiery hearings uh, in Congress, but uh, it seemed to happen a little bit later, maybe a, a couple of days later, at least by my count, um, from what I've seen. So uh, Elijah Cummings responds. He says, uh, Mr. President, I go home to my district daily. Each morning I wake up and I go and fight for my neighbors. It's my constitutional duty to conduct oversight of the executive branch but it is my moral duty to fight for my constituents. Mr. President, we can address this together. Two years ago, I went to the White House uh, to ask you to endorse my bill to let the government negotiate directly for lower drug prices. So it's, uh, he also had a hearing on, on drug prices and, and everything else. So the, the Oversight Committee's been busy. They've been busy dealing with Russia. They've been de busy dealing with a lot of different uh, things. Um, and... Uh, that's that's kind of what's been happening. Um, by the way, don't mind the generator. There's some generator noise in the in the background. The, the old city's been one of the things that's happened since we've been in the uh, well since we've been on our break is that uh, there was a big fire in old city Philadelphia and uh, in in the uh, underground an underground fire and it torched a lot of wiring and things like that. So we've had generators that have been powering businesses. So you may be hearing a little bit of that. Although we were largely unaffected, thankfully, it's been the businesses, some of the businesses across the street that have had a major impact there. So uh, that may be uh, uh, what's what we're dealing with a little bit in the background there. Um, now, there's a woman named uh, Kimberly Klasik, and she is a conservative conservative activist in Baltimore. And she put out several videos. She's since 2018 or so, she's been a, a commentator on Fox News Channel um, you know how the networks work. They have um, uh, different people from different sides of the aisle brought in. Sometimes they're, they're podcast hosts. Sometimes they're talk show. They have radio shows in, in towns. Uh, uh, they, they write for a paper. Um, they have a blog or they worked in government or they worked in media. Then they, you know, and so they, it's basically whoever they can get a lot of times, depending on the issues, you know. Uh, and uh, Kimberly Klasik has, uh, uh, she's, she lives in Baltimore. Baltimore area, and she started recording these videos going to West Baltimore, um, which is uh, a big part of uh, uh, Representative Cummings' district. And she was going to neighborhoods with uh, a lot of trash on the street, rats running around, and talking to neighbors who had been frustrated about that. And she was really um, kind of piled before the before the president's tweets piling on about the notion that. Uh, Representative Cummings should take care of his district first. That's been the argument from many on the right. Um, it, it started out, there was, um, uh, there's been, it's interesting because before these things ever really break big time and nationally and become a huge national story, you have maybe a, a commentator who writes a, a publication or writes about it and it circulates. It circulates through social media. So anyway, um, she started uh with the videos and putting them out there and it started gaining attention on Fox News Channel. There was a segment a few days ago and within a very short time, President Trump put out his tweets, did not reference her work specifically in that moment, but then later retweeted her and retweeted her video and pictures and, and, and things like that. Um, so it's, and, and it prompted uh, a CNN anchor again, after the tweets I read you from President Trump, uh, an anchor from CNN uh, gave, gave a tearful 
uh, rebuke of those comments. Many have said that the comments are racist. The line about rat infested, uh, you know, a lot of people have said, especially on the left, have said that, you know, this is a yet another racial attack that the president has made. Um, talking about, um, you know, rats and it, it being rodent infested, the words in that tweet. Uh, whereas uh, Trump and his supporters have said, including Klasik, have said that it's actually about uh, th that there are literal rats running in the street. And there's video of that that's surfaced online. And then there's been video of the former Baltimore mayor uh, who just left office over a, a, a scandal related to a children's book. And uh, she she said, you, you know, there's video where you can a news station walked with her through the streets uh, talking about about revitalization and um, you hear the mayor say, wow, oh my gosh, you can smell the dead animals. And, um, and, and so there's, there's been a, a lot of back and forth about what was really meant by the term rodents. And, and there's, there's video. I mean, you can see the, the rats, actual rats and, and, and mice running across trash piles and, and that type of thing. It just happened in one reporter's uh, live shot or stand-up. You see a rat running like over to a fence, and, and uh, there's a big one, too. Now, every big city has this problem, by the way. I mean, Philadelphia has this problem. Um, Camden has this problem. There's, there's, un there's areas that don't have a lot of development. There's areas that have been, for whatever reason, neglected, or they just don't have the, the, um, the, the resources to invest and tidy up these areas. Uh, and, and, you know, there's neighborhood groups that get together and do voluntary cleanups. There's city council members, depending on the town, you know, there's city council members who do cleanup days and, and, and that type of thing. And, and, and they make a bit, I've covered stories like that in Philadelphia, and they do a great job of cleaning up a corner, a block, what, what have you. But it's much more complicated when a house is dilapidated, decaying, it's owned by somebody else, you know, it's not so easy for the government to just come in and tear it down. And a lot of this, um, despite the, you know, the, the, the criticism of the congressman, a lot of this, you know, the, the criticism comes in with the money that's, you know, where is the money going? You know, federal dollars that, um, that, that every member of Congress can bring back to their community to help the local government, to help, uh, you know, local agencies clean up areas, you know, invest in, you know, uh, education, uh, job training programs, all kinds of things that, that, you know, federal money will help uh, perform. So it's, it's a big part of it. But it's really the municipal government that deals with this every day. It's really the, the, um, the city council members and the committee people and everybody else who, who deal with this, the block captains who lobby officials. I don't know if they have black captains in Baltimore. I know it's a big thing in a lot of big cities, especially on the East Coast. I assume Baltimore. I'm not quite sure, though. Don't quote me on that. But um, I just know generally, I mean, I, I've been to Baltimore. I've, I was there for the, the Baltimore riots, covering that, more on that in a moment. And I was also there 20 years ago for a conference, uh, and we, we did a lot, we for, uh, bringing young people together and, and uh, uh working to enhance youth programs and more on that in a second too. So I have some, uh, I've seen a lot of Baltimore's troubled neighborhoods with my own eyes and, and I'll just get, you know, get to that in a second. But the general background is that every, every major city struggles with this. Um, so if anything, you know, if, if what residents would be doing, if they're upset about, you know, trash not being picked up and, 
litter and and uh, you know crime and you know with these abandoned houses it's breeding ground for prostitution and drugs and all that it's the same you know constant plight you know and more vandalism and whatever else going on uh, if anything it's the mayor and it's the city council people who have who shoulder that burden you know those are the people you go to um, but because of uh, the political dynamics here in, in Cummings, who represents this area, and he has a very high national profile. He's been in Congress for many, many years. Uh, he's been, uh, he's, he's, he's a, he was fairly big in the civil rights movement, I mean, at least for that area, you know. And um, because of the dynamics associated with it and him criticizing President Trump over border security and this condition at the border and everything else, uh, what you have is a situation where uh, the president's saying, well, look at where you are and look at what's going on there. Um, but technically, if city officials were handling this, I mean, I mean, if, if residents were, you know, the, the way residents would approach this is they would, you know, they, they would certainly call their congressman, you know, but they would generally go to the local authorities because it's the jurisdiction of the local authorities to deal with i mean you know they can issue citations they can issue um there's there's uh, massive fines in major cities for that are enforced by the local government for illegal dumping and and that type of thing philadelphia has really been uh, here in philly the, the, our, the city leaders have really been taking an active stance on that especially depending on the district there's a couple uh wards or well a couple um locals uh, districts where um I know two of two council members in particular who have been hitting this home very aggressively, you know, and that goes in part of uh, with the community cleanups and the the block captains and the um, which is a, basically sometimes the most senior person on the block or the most outspoken person on a block who keeps an eye on things and uh, communicates with city officials and uh, various departments on, on what's going on with the police, communicates with the police department, you know, that, that type of thing. So anyway, so that's how this all went down. And, and that's generally how it would be handled locally. But because of the, the political nature of what's happening here, um, a lot of Baltimore residents feel caught in the middle and they feel like their city has been attacked. And, and so the Baltimore Sun uh, provided a scathing uh, uh, editorial, uh, scathing towards President Trump on this um, it doesn't sound like actually Reverend Al Sharpton uh, and uh, former Republican uh, National Committee uh, Chair Michael Steele, who's also a, local, a former local official, state official from Maryland, lieutenant governor there, uh, went to Baltimore. They had a, yesterday they had a previously scheduled um, meeting about housing and urban empowerment, and then these comments took place over the weekend, and so. Both Reverend Sharpton and uh, former RNC Chairman Steele were very critical of, of uh, the president's tweets um, uh, and, and encouraged Michael Steele encouraged the president uh, to come down to Baltimore and said the people are ready to, ready to talk with you about the issues going on there. So the feeling was that with this particular event that was scheduled um, to talk about uh, housing and urban opportunity and job and, and, you know economic revitalization, um, helping, you know, especially African-American families that are struggling. Uh, there was the feeling that, you know, Steele said, well, we got, we got sidetracked, you know. Um, there, there's the feeling that there was a setback, you know. It's like, okay, you know, a little bit of wind knocked out of us. We still have to get back up on the horse and we have this work to do. And the tweets from the president aren't helping. That's, what, that's basically the, the genesis of what uh, Steele said. 
um, Al Sharpton basically said, I've known Trump for, you know, 25 years and he's never been a very mature person. Trump called, uh, Trump had called uh, Al Sharpton a con man, you know, in another tweet. So they've, they've had their own fresh back and forth um, after this whole thing with President Trump and Elijah Cummings. Now, what I've seen, my perspective on this, and again, this, I, I give you analysis. I, I I shoot things straight down the middle. I'm not taking any partisan sides here. This is not. I'm not getting into the politics of this. Just what I've seen, um, you know, for a city that I never lived in, Baltimore has always been very unique in in my experience uh, for two reasons. Um, one of the the biggest, but very one of the most difficult stories I've ever had to cover in my career was in Baltimore, and it was the Baltimore riots that came after the death of Freddie Gray, um, who died in police custody. There was the whole thing, you know, uh, several cops, five, six cops who uh, were charged, and, and later, essentially, that that case did not really go anywhere as the prosecution was looking uh, to, to push it, but... Um, but you you had uh, the the death of this young man uh, that upset the city. Um, there's been a lot of tension between police and the African American communities in Baltimore, and so when that happened, uh, you know, 2015, it everything just went. You know, it it was a powder keg. I mean, it was a, it was just a, an explosion of, you know, there were cars on fire. So I went down to Baltimore to cover what was essentially a threat issued against the police department. The, the three major gangs, uh, including the Bloods, as I remember it, issuing a threat against police. So we went down there, and it was amazing to see uh, gates and barricades set up in front of the police administration building in Baltimore, in front of Baltimore City Hall. Um, and that was the day of Freddie Gray's funeral, as I remember it. Now, uh, what happened after that was, I mean, it, largely things were peaceful. And then we heard about it. We, I saw a helicopter flying over to what was essentially West Baltimore. And we started hearing reports of, of um, fires and rioting and things like that. So we went over that way. And I found myself pretty much right in the middle of a, a, a key part of it. I mean, I saw we, we were driving our truck through the area. Somebody threw like some ball of dirt at us we you know we had kids climbing on our our news truck uh protesters but uh, their parents are trying to get them down and get them off the truck uh we didn't know they were kids at the time I mean, by kids i mean teenagers i mean these are big kids you know uh and so i think one of them might have even been in their early 20s but their parents had to get them off off our truck it was uh we we found ourselves we we finally parked in a spot where we could see one of the vehicles on fire and and people just out in the street and and you know, doing what they were doing. And then we saw on, on the other side of us, it was a, a bus full of, of I think, state police. It was largely state police, but um, just a massive law enforcement presence of uh, police in riot gear getting off of the bus and forming a line. You know, we saw fire trucks racing. I was live on the air, and we saw fire trucks racing past. Um, you know, I, I got to find some of the... Uh, some of the video here. I just want to remind, you know, cause I had to sort of remind myself of what was going on. Um, okay. I'm looking at some of the pictures now, but it was, uh, you know, it was, it, it really reached a fever pitch that night. Um, we had refocused our efforts on downtown Baltimore. We had enough, we shot enough video to tell our story. 
you know, with the, the cops forming a line. We saw the fire. We talked with protesters. We talked with people who were upset with what was happening. At that point, it was just, uh, it was a little bit of the, the tension between police and, and the African-American community, but, but it was more so just, holy cow, this town is on fire, you know, and it was, we, we showed the riot police, we showed the protesters, we showed the, the, the torched car and some other stuff on fire. Um, and I then moved back uh, over towards the, the uh, sort of a, a mini mall. If you think about like um, Independence Mall, or I mean, uh, uh, if you think about like the National Mall, right, there was a smaller mall area, I guess you can call it that, really just a big field area um, in front of Baltimore City Hall. And we stayed, that was the area where everything was, it, it was almost like on lockdown. I mean, City Hall was clearly on lockdown. The police administration, there was even more of a barricade than what we saw before when we went to the riot area after seeing that helicopter going over there. And we saw, um, my coworker uh, Brian and I, we, we saw, um, we, we started to hear of things happening in the distance. There were some, the, the downtown area, it, it was like, um, it was like a war zone with the, the downtown, the capital, protected by uh, police. I think there were National Guard out there. I mean, you know, where we were, we, we didn't have a whole lot of drama happening. We could hear some people yelling in the distance. But we could, you know, you, you could hear of the reports of fires and, and everything else happening. And um, we saw that there was video coming in, of, especially as nighttime hit, of, of big fires happening. And, uh, and it, was, it was awful. I, I was talking live on air. Uh, and I saw, and the the video playing, uh, you know, under my voice was was showing live pictures of fires, and uh, there was a CVS which became a, a big part of the story, a CVS store that had um, that, that was uh, ransacked, and people were looting, and 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 uh, you know, there's broken glass all over the ground, and uh, you had. Uh, you even had some reports of people who were cutting the the fire hoses on fire trucks as they were trying to put some of these houses out you know out of a blaze. I mean, actually, you know, get the fires under control. Um, there were numerous arrests. It, it was uh, the first night was was just it was so tense. It was so tense. At, at one point, we we grabbed a sandwich and a um, there was a. I did a phone interview for a TV station in, in San Diego, giving them a highlight on, or an update on what was going on. My colleague and I, we realized we didn't eat, eat anything all day, so we, we went into this little um, bakery, cafe kind of place. And it was, it was interesting because I could hear the helicopters. There were police helicopters up above us. And then um, there was still police outside. This was still downtown. There were police um, guard, kind of guarding the sidewalk, guarding the, the area, you know, the street where we were, we went in and you had a mixture of protesters. One guy who said, you know, had a shirt that said like F the police basically. And he was eating. And then there were cops, there were cops dressed up in, uh, you know, they had about half of their riot gear on, as I remember it, uh, on the other side of the, the cafe, um, with, uh, you know, Everybody was doing their thing at that point when everybody needed to eat. I guess there was peace between the protesters and, and law enforcement in that this, this store, this cafe, it was a microcosm of what was really happening. And, and then, you know, I, I felt like everything was just under siege because we had the, 
I, I, there were two TV sets, local news stations, and they had helicopters flying over essentially what, what looked like where we were. And you could just see that you could see the police presence, the breaking news banners, the, the, the fires. I mean, it was just it was so, it was chaotic. And, and it felt like we were maybe in one of the few places where we were almost like in the eye of the storm. You know what I mean? Where I mean, it was it was quiet or sort of quiet. And, and but uh, but then everybody went back out. The protesters went back out to protest and the police went out to police. Um, and I'll never forget one of the Baltimore anchors uh, just talking about how angry he was that this was happening in a city that that Baltimore residents were were tearing down their community. He, and he was very emotional on air. And so I say all this because um, in my first encounter with Baltimore, because a lot of what's been discussed with um, where Baltimore is in crime and violent crime and things like that is what happened since Freddie Gray, what happened since the riots, you know? So part of the argument is people saying that things have not gotten any better or have in some ways have gotten worse. Although some city officials will say, we have a lot of development, we've, we've created uh, housing, we've, we've got a lot of positive things happening. Uh, but I, I, th I say this because I, I remember seeing especially the next morning when we were at the CVS and, and we saw vi groups volunteering, you know, uh, multiracial groups of people working to clean up their community. And they expressed so much sadness that there was so much anger that tore apart their community. People in Baltimore love their city, you know. And again, I'm not getting into any of the politics here on the left or on the right of this. But I can tell you that, you know, there is a fierce love of community in that Baltimore residents have for their city that I haven't really seen anywhere else. I mean, Philadelphia is kind of like that. I think Philadelphia is a lot like that. Um, but it was, it was just like, you, you know, it, it wasn't just, I live here. I love my town. It's I live here. I love my town. And we've been through a lot of crap, you know, and, and before this, and now the national media descends on, on, you know, Baltimore, and we've got riots, and we've got national media, and there's everything on fire, and we've got to rebuild our community. And people felt gutted. I mean, people felt absolutely gutted. There was beauty in seeing all these people working together to clean up the mess and clean up the damage, you know. Uh, and, and I did interview Elijah Cummings at that time. It was, you know, where we were, um, the, the, that CVS area, when my my uh, other colleague came down uh, to join in the coverage, he covered more of the um, the the sort of there was like a police line. It was almost like a border that was set up, where law enforcement was was not going to allow any more of the neighborhood to be destroyed. There were protesters who were demonstrating, some kind of getting in the faces of the cops, and you had the cops in riot gear on one side. There was a tear canister that was dropped, um, but it really wasn't that. I mean, it, it, it looked maybe a little more intense on air, but it really wasn't, uh, you know, that was after the, the worst of the worst of it happened. OK, the worst of it was that night. You know, everything happened that night. You know, there was there was tension. They were holding the line. Police were holding the line and protesters. It was kind of a, a central point. And uh, everybody had driven through there. Governor Hogan. Uh, we interviewed him. He, he had driven through that area to talk about what was happening. Uh, you know, uh, the mayor of Baltimore, we tried to get uh, her, but she wouldn't, uh, uh, she kind of just took a look around and, and uh, she met with some people and then left. And then uh, Congressman Cummings, we, we interviewed him and, and he talked about, he expressed his shock and his sadness, his sorrow over what was happening in his district. Um, 
and so anyway, you know, you you see, you you know that. Um, I mean, one thing was clear, and it was the fact that Baltimore, you know, has had a lot of problems in certain neighborhoods, like a lot of cities do, and they're aware of it. And even back then, um, with the riots going on, I mean, th- that issue was more about police complaints and law enforcement, and, and in relation to the African American community. Um, but there was. You could tell there were other things that bothered people, other things that bothered residents, and and they were, uh, there's been a, they've had a lot of emotion. They've had they carry um, the 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 troubles with them every single day, and you know they pull together to make progress where they can. That's what I saw, you know. But then the riots happened, and and it just it was like ripping any wound that was going on. Residents told me, we've been dealing with police issues for years. We've been dealing with blight. And when I say police issues, I mean alleged police brutality. Um, you know, they've been dealing with, uh, uh, you know, uh, lack of beautification in some spots. You know, all the attention going to the harbor, the inner harbor, but, you know, a lot of the neighborhoods feeling left behind. All of that was was there and and, and festering for years. And then the riots happened and it was like every band-aid had just been ripped off is the sense I got from the people who live there. So in that instance, I saw the passion that people had for their community. And I can tell you that's some of the same stuff bubbling up again uh, in this as Baltimore's in the national news uh, yet again for uh, reasons that are clearly very disturbing to uh, the residents there. And that's based on what they've said and uh, what the newspaper said. So my first exposure to Baltimore happened about 20 years ago, and it was in the capacity of working on local government issues. I was part of a group called the National League of Cities, and uh, we had uh, we had gone there uh, to look at youth matters, youth challenges, education, how families were working together. I was appointed to a, a council within the NLC called the uh, the National League of Cities Council on Youth Education and Families. They it was it was a brain trust of mayors. It still exists. Uh, it's still there today, um, but it, it's made up of mayors, of uh, city council members, of uh, uh, professors, uh, members of groups like the Search Institute. Um, it was a brain trust of, of people who uh, there were corporate partners there too, corporations that did a lot of. Uh, philanthropic work and uh, they wanted three young people to be a part of this group and and help advise these mayors these elected officials on what can be done to help these communities so um we we wanted to look at how we wanted to give young people a voice in their community which was kind of what was happening in my hometown which is how i got involved in the national scene and went to these nlc conferences and then next thing you know joined this council uh and then went to various places across the country to see how, um, you know, see what the challenges were and maybe what we could help local officials do. Um, so the area was, it was, it was youth violence. It was, um, we, we dealt with youth violence, education, giving young people safe alternatives, uh, helping families, uh, you know, reach the, the local and state resources that are available to help them out, whether if, if there's a tough financial moment or if there's health issues or whatever, you know, doing what a community can do to strengthen families in tough times. And the education part of it was was working with schools and partnering so that we could find a, a way to better connect young people to positive things happening in their community, all of that. Anyway, so so we went there uh, in Baltimore, and I remember we toured a, a, a 
I think it was a youth program. It was an urban collective uh, group where um, people did you know various things, arts and crafts. They um, it was a it was one of the more uh, impoverished communities um, neighborhoods, but you saw how young people were doing various things. Uh, I think related to arts and 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 whatever else, and you know trying to make the community better. Uh, in their own way, even when they're dealing with very limited resources and, and uh, not the, the things that a lot of more privileged folks, even in their city, have in terms of finance and whatever else and, and, and uh, just, uh, you know, socioeconomic status is what I'm talking about. So I saw even there how um, people were proud of their community and, you know, they had their challenges. Um, but they were really working hard to to deal with them. I was not familiar with a lot of the the tension between law enforcement and minority uh, communities. I wasn't too familiar with that. A lot of it was just you know it was the you know you still had the rough neighborhoods that that had uh, a lack of development that had um, that needed more development that needed job creation that needed to clean up the streets. Um, a lot of the the very difficult things that happen in many many places. So my point is, I, I saw it twice, you know, we even planned a conference there called City Match. We, we worked um, we worked with a group called City Match to plan a conference uh, to see how everybody could come together in the name of positive solutions for families, for young people and, and everything. And, uh, and so it was a, it was great experience being a part of that. But it was also, you know, it's one thing when you're a teenager, you know, you're 18. And you, uh, I think it was about 18 at the time. And I uh, no, about 16. And so I saw um, how people there really loved their community and came together. And then I saw it again in my early 30s uh, when one of the worst things to happen to that city actually happened. And so despite everything going on with the politics of what's happening between the president and uh, Congressman Cummings and, you know, you 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 know that, you know, the, the pro I can say this, people get caught in the middle of it. You know, residents get caught in the middle of this stuff. And uh, I've seen the, the toughness and the resilience uh, of the, the people of Baltimore twice in, in my career. And uh, I, um, you know, you wish nothing but the best as they try to solve their problems and, and uh, work together to do it. And, uh, you know, it, it's uh, the whole process, the whole thing is unfortunate. The, the pain that, that they're going through now, again, after you know, just after what happened five years ago or four years ago with the riots and, and the Freddie Gray situation. So um, I just wanted to testify for a moment to the, the resilience I've seen in the people of Baltimore, uh, multicultural, multiracial and, and beyond politics, you know, beyond uh, the political uh, part of it. Um, I actually had interacted with, uh, I think it was relating to the riots at the time I had talked with folks uh, who live in, uh, uh, you know, who are active in the political circle. One person in particular who is, is active in what's happening now with this current dust up. And, you know, they told me they just hope that the neighborhood gets the treatment it deserves. Uh, they hope their, the neighborhoods get cleaned up, you know, despite the attention they're getting, despite what's happening uh, nationally and, and all of the attention focused on Baltimore and the president's tweet and, whether you know it was racist, some say it is, some say it isn't. Um, the person I spoke with, who's been involved in this, said, you know, they just want to make sure that the right thing happens for Baltimore and that these uh, these neighborhoods 
the trash gets picked up, the uh, the rats are gone, uh, you know, not crawling around on, on uh, you know, empty lots and things like that, and that people can get a sense that their neighborhoods are, are healthy and, and safe again. So uh, regardless of all the politics, here's to any continued improvement that uh, that can be found. As we mentioned, the next round of Democratic debating is in the Motor City in Detroit tonight. And look for the Baltimore story to be a major headline, if not dominating this debate, as we talk about race relations and so on and so forth. Some new polling out as well. Uh, Real clear politics and average of polls. Uh, Former Vice President Joe Biden leading, widening his lead, 32 points. Uh, Senator Bernie Sanders, 16.2. Senator Elizabeth Warren with 14. Senator Kamala Harris uh, of California, 10.5, and then it goes down from there. So uh, the former vice president clearly expanding his lead. Uh, Who knows if we will see within this round uh, another discussion about busing or everything else. But clearly, uh, I mean, the the Baltimore situation, it's hard to think that it would not be a a major topic of discussion in uh, this round of debating. Anyway, thank you for joining us on season two of our program, Dave Kinchin, tonight. Season two since we came back on from all those years ago when we uh, were away, but uh, great to be back with you. And uh, we will be checking in uh, at least once a week on this program. Maybe more depends on what's going on in the news and everything else, but continue to have a great summer, my friends. (music) 